creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL FM on the campus of Winona State University. Today on Culture Click, we take a peek at the nightlife monthly event, Nerd Night. So if you're ever curious about topics, or perhaps you're passionate enough that you've been called Ha! Nerd! Then look no further, as the bar with no name houses an event only the nerdiest of nerds call home. I'm Dylan Alzate, joined by a couple speakers from Nerd Night today on Culture Click. Hello, nerds. Let's try that again. Hello, nerds. All right, there's the nerds. Hi, I'm Carl. Over there, over there, that's Emily. And we're your nerd bosses. So we are the Wranglers of the Nerdosity. And uh, this is Nerd Night Winona. Welcome. So some of you, uh, who out there have been to Nerd Night before? All right. How many of you, this is your first Nerd Night? Yeah, lots of first timers. Excellent. Glad you are here. So I'm going to, I'm going to, set the stage a little bit, explain what Nerd Night is, and what what is Nerd Night? Well, it's based off the premise that learning is more fun while having a drink. Cheers. Um, some say that uh, it's like the Discovery Channel with beer. Um, and now you might be wondering, how did this whole thing begin? Uh, it begins with this guy, Chris in Boston. You're like, all right, some random guy, Chris in Boston. Um, but he was a graduate student in Boston, and he would go uh, to his neighborhood bar, the Midway. Fabulous place, just like here at the No Name. And uh, Chris, he was studying evolutionary biology. Specifically, he was studying uh, birds, indigo birds, uh, and he'd have to travel to the Cameroon. And so we'd go and do his field study in the Cameroon. He'd, he'd do all this great research, and he'd come back. Uh, and you tell his friends about it. So what are these indigo birds? Well, here is one uh, very nice bird. Or are they? So indi- see, indigo birds, they uh, are parasitic birds. They lay their eggs in other birds' nests. Uh, and, you know, so the other bird will raise them. However, they don't just raise them. The indigo birds, when they are hatch, they actually push the eggs out of the other birds. So here you can see an example. I mean... On one hand, it's kind of sad, but you kind of want to cheer for him. Come on, little guy. Press. Press. You can do it. Personal best. You got it. Come on. Anyway, so this is obviously quite interesting. Uh, and so Chris, he'd come home, come back to the Midway, and all of his friends, they'd see him there and be like, hey, Chris, tell us what you learned. Another friend would come in and be hey, Chris, tell us what you learned. And ultimately, the bartenders are like, you have to stop. We've heard the same story over and over and over again. You get one chance, one chance to tell your story. Get all your friends together, tell your story, and that is how Nerd Night was born. Um, This was a great idea, and eventually Chris convinced his friend, another random guy called Matt, who uh, is in New York City, to stop just hosting trivia. Be like, hey, you should get a Nerd Night going in the big city. And so they did. And eventually, now Nerd Nights are all over the world. Uh, from New York City to Europe to Japan, uh, Iceland. Oh, Iceland's not on there. There is an Iceland nerd night. Uh, so they're all over the world. How did they get here, though? Well, um, that comes down to my friend Michelle. So when she was in New York, she got involved with nerd night. So there's Michelle and Matt. And then Michelle moseyed on up to upstate New York to grad school, 
Uh, and we met each other at a brew fest, at a beer festival. Uh, but what's interesting about this is Michelle, she's a veterinarian, uh, does, does evolutionary, uh, does genetics with, with animals, uh, and she's vegan, um, and I really like meat. Um, but uh, we bonded over nerdiness and beer, and we were like, hey, let's do a Nerd Night Ithaca. So we started a Nerd Night in Ithaca, uh, and then uh, I moved away, finished grad school, went to Europe for a little bit, uh, then eventually found my way here uh, to Winona, and, uh, you know, Winona, it's a pretty great place. One of the great things is beer here is pretty cheap. Let's be honest. It's pretty, re it's pretty reasonable. We got a lot of, even your, all the neighborhood bars have some craft beer on tap. We're kind of like a beer heaven. So I'm like, hey, I want to learn stuff and have fun, have a beer. Uh, so let's get a nerd night going. Uh, and then uh, Emily heard about this. And Emily, she, uh, she did some nerd night in Madison. So Madison, Wisconsin, they have nerd night. Uh, and so Emily's like, yes, let's get this going. Uh, and now, well, it's five years ago, or yeah, five years ago, we had a nerd night. Um, we had only two years of nerd night before the pandemic started, uh, but we had awesome speakers, um, something close to, you know, 75 different talks uh, before the, the Rona happened, but we're back. And now this is our second in-person nerd night since the start of the pandemic. Um, and let's get nerdy. So tonight, our first speaker uh, is Dr. Danielle Schwartz. She is a professor of film studies in English. Uh, and she is going to tell us about one of her nerdy passions, Formula One, in her talk, Lights Out and Away We Go, how Formula One is building a global fandom. Give a warm welcome for Danielle. Thank you. Thank you. Very kind. There we go. Uh, okay, so, lights out and away we go. I'm going to ask you if you would kindly close your eyes for a minute and imagine what you think about when you think about racing or race cars. What do you see? What kind of imagery? Okay, you can open your eyes. I don't think it takes that long. Um, and I'm guessing that some of you maybe thought of some of this kind of imagery. You know, race cars, Goodyear tires on fire, McDonald's, Mountain Dew. And I hope none of you thought about Duck Dynasty, but here we are. But when I think about racing, this is what I see. I see fashion. But actually, first, I see Sir Lewis Hamilton. Can we just have an applause for Sir Lewis Hamilton? You might not know him, but he's the best, literally. He is the greatest of all time, the GOAT. Uh, he is the first and only black racer in Formula One. And he has a lot of other firsts. Um, he has won seven world championships. Eight technically, but we'll talk about it later. Um, and the only other person to do that is Michael Schumacher, and he's retired. And not like the other drivers who are like retired. He's like actually retired, um, and I'll tell you about that later, too. Uh, so again, the things I see, I see Sir Lewis Hamilton, I see fashion, I see cool girls, I see systems of oppression, uh, and I see anti-oppression. It's odd, really. So Formula One has a long history, and it starts with the FIA, which in my attempt at uh, Italian is 
the Federation Internationale des Automobiles, and in English that is the International uh, Federation of Automobiles. And they are the regulators of Formula One, which is the highest class of racing that exists in the world. And what that means is they are driving the fastest cars that exist in the world, if you just consider open wheel racing, which too much. We'll just avoid what that is. And so I'm sure you can imagine that when you think of 73 years of history, it's not far-fetched to know that the FAA were a bunch of European white dudes and the Formula One drivers were a bunch of European white dudes for many of those 73 years. And the team principals in the U.S., otherwise known as owners, um, they were also a lot of European white dudes. Um, but I don't have enough time. 15 minutes is not enough time to tell you the entire history of Formula One. So we're going to skip ahead just a little bit. And we're going to move to 2017 to 2019. So in 2017, this show, Drive to Survive, comes into the world in your Netflix algorithm somewhere. Um, thanks to my husband, who has completely ruined my algorithm for the best, like in the best way possible, um, I was introduced to this. So instead of letting the FIA, I'm sorry, instead of letting Netflix... Uh, you know, actually, wait. Instead of me telling you that whole history, I'm going to let the FIA via Netflix tell you what is happening behind the scenes and behind the wheel in Formula One. Okay. So along comes Drive to Survive, and it changes the landscape of Formula One's fandom. Um, Formula One's fandom was always already global. Uh, races were held all over the world from the get-go. But its viewership exploded when Drive to Survive came on the scene. And just to kind of give you a sense of that, you can see that in 2008, there were around 600 million viewers 2015, that dropped by a third. And this is worldwide viewers, by the way. And it left us with 400 million viewers. And then we get to 2002. So that's about, I don't know, three, four, five seasons into Drive to Survive. And there are more than a billion viewers worldwide. Um, and 400 million US viewers alone. And it's not just Drive to Survive that leads to this explosion of this fandom. Um, at the same time as uh, the, you know, the fandom is like dropping, uh, in England they decided to move from a public television broadcast of Formula One, so free, to a subscription-based. Uh, version and so people now had to pay to watch Formula One um, and at the same time coming up very soon ESPN is working out a deal with Formula One it's currently already 
available on ESPN and commercial free. And that is the thing that's going to change when their deal goes through. They will no longer be commercial free. There'll be advertising and it is going to probably also move to a subscription service, uh, likely being shown on ESPN three, which you probably don't get unless you subscribe to a sports package. So there are three main things that really were affected when Drive to Survive came out. And that's what I'm going to tell you about tonight. So one is costs. So all of a sudden, Formula One, the FIA, get exactly what they want. They get a billion new fans. And at the same time, their prices for going to a race do not change. Um, So they have this huge new fan base, but most, if not the majority of them, cannot afford to go to an actual race, which is probably the ultimate dream of a fan, right? Um, So you can see here, $4,909 gets you... Uh, official ticket package, which means you get grandstand seats, which means you get to sit in the sun for two and a half hours with no shade and no water, probably, because if you get up, someone's going to take your seat um, and you're going to suffer. Now, if you pay $12,000, you'll be able to go off to the side, go into like a private area that has, you know, some type of covering, has well drinks, you know, the cheapest you can get. You might meet a junior driver there. Um, And, of course, also included is uh, the best hotel rooms, which really just means that they have reserved the best hotel rooms for you to purchase separately. Um, And then, of course, there's airfare. So in terms of Drive to Survive, all these fans all of a sudden not are just fans of the show, they become fans of racing. And when that happens, they learn that the thing they really want to do, which has come to the United States, not just in Las Vegas, which this will be the very first race in Las Vegas, it's a street circuit, but also in Miami and in Austin. Uh, And no person, probably in this room, I'm just going to assume, would want to pay what you'd have to pay to go to any of these U.S. races. Although the U.S. is the market that has probably grown the most when it comes to Drive to Survive. The second main thing that's been affected, and this happens both behind the scenes in terms of what's happening like in the Formula One structure of the business, but also in terms of fandom, is an intense focus on gender inclusivity. So this, oh, whoops, that is Susie Wolf. And Susie Wolf, right here, is the very first and only woman F1 driver to drive, not in a race, but in a practice session for testing on a race weekend. And she is the last one to do only that. Um, yeah, and then, you know, she takes some time off to be with her family. She's married to Toto Wolf, who is the principal or owner of uh, the Mercedes team. And then Drive to Survive comes out, 
And all of a sudden, it's announced that Susie Wolf is the F1 Academy Managing Director. And what that means is that she manages all the junior league uh, drivers who want to sit in a Mercedes seat. Um, and I'll tell you more about the odds of that in a minute. But this happens most likely because all of a sudden, a 38% increase in women fans brings a lot of why are there no women drivers? Why don't we see very many women engineers? What's going on? And so Susie takes on this role. And of course, it's not just behind the scenes, but also in the fandom. So as you can imagine, you become a fan of Formula One. You're a woman. You do the thing all fans do. You log on to Reddit and you go to the forums and you get harassed. Immensely, to the point that two women started Two Girls, One Formula, which is a platform only for women to have a safe space away from harassment to talk about Formula One, where they're not told that you don't know what you're talking about because you've just watched Drive to Survive, or told things like, uh, you only are here because the guys are hot, you know, that kind of thing. And I will say... Uh, Every single person I told that I was giving my talk on this responded with, hmm, I never would have thought you'd do that. Or, hmm, I, I didn't know you had it in you. Or even my best friend who said, I don't even know you at all. <laughs> <laughs> so behind the scenes, also in the fandom, Drive to Survive has grown an immense fandom for women, and it comes with a lot of downsides. And then, of course, we have the academies. And the academies are trying really hard, as you can see, to increase diversity and inclusion. So this is Team Red Bull, uh, an energy drink, if you will. Obviously not my favorite team. Um, and I would say almost all of their drivers are white men. I think that would be pretty accurate. Um, and this is their... 2021 Drivers Academy team. And over here we have Mercedes. They're doing a little bit better. They have a woman. They have an Asian man. Um, and the problem is, is that none of these drivers will ever see a seat on Red Bull or the Mercedes team because junior drivers are up and coming. They're great and they're fun and they're cool, but they're not Sir Lewis Hamilton. And they're not Max Verstappen. Oh my God, I almost said Max Verstappen. Sorry. Uh, and so those guys are going to stay, stay in those seats as long as they possibly can. And retirement is something that happens when you have a catastrophic accident, uh, not when you're just done working. These guys will drive as long as they possibly can, and then they will find a way to stay in Formula One by either becoming commentators or moving to an advisory or a mentorship kind of role. And so behind the scenes, we can see that their push for diversity, this message that's all over social media, every single team. You see these beautiful videos that are in black and white, and it's all the drivers saying, we, and then a new frame, race, and then another one, as one, and then all the drivers, we race as one, which doesn't mean anything when you actually look at what's happening behind the scenes. And so Formula One right now is in... 
kind of a sticky situation. They have this big conundrum on their hands, thanks to Netflix, um, where their fandom has exploded and they have no idea how to meet their fandom's needs. In fact, they're so clueless that while they did let Lewis Hamilton uh, protest for a few years um, by kneeling, which, by the way, he couldn't convince this Red Bull driver to kneel with him, Max Verstappen. Uh, now they're saying no more political messaging. And Lewis is saying, I'm the best driver you have, so F you, and I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. So when it comes to Formula One as a industry, the FIA as an industry, they have no idea what they're doing, but their drivers do, but they don't really listen to their drivers. Instead, they're kind of obsessed with whether or not Lewis is going to take out his nose ring for a race. Um, and that's really where we're at right now. It's a juncture, and I love Formula One. I am a huge fan, um, but this affects all fans in all these different ways. And that's what I have for you. And I, oh, this is the old version. I have a new version somewhere that has a list of things you can ask me about. So I'll just tell you the list real quick. You can ask me about uh, champagne and shoeys. You can ask me about retirement. You can ask me about Sir Lewis Hamilton. You can ask me about how the FIA and Red Bull stole the eighth world championship from Lewis Hamilton. You can ask me about uh, uh, pretty much anything. I mean, th those are the ones I remember putting on the list, but I took some off because it was really long. So that's it for tonight. Thank you for listening and enjoying. Thank you so much, Danielle. All right, we've got some time for questions. We've got Joyati here. Well, you said we can ask you about St. Louis Hamilton. Go yes. ahead. I want okay. to hear more. So Sir Lewis Hamilton started out racing, I think, when he was six years old. Alex, can I confirm? Around... Eight, six to eight, yeah, we'll say. Um, and his father worked four jobs to afford for him to have a go-kart, because you start in karting. And every single person he was racing against, obviously, were white men. Um, and he experienced extreme racism. He was called the N-word all the time. Uh, he was, people went after him in their cars in terms of, like, on the track just because he was a black kid. Um, and he struggled a lot, and he talks about it a lot now, that what drives him is that kind of making a change for newer drivers coming up. Hopefully there will be another black driver in the future, but that's what he's trying to pave the way for. And he's not just talk, he is action. He um, is action in the sense of like someone who's been knighted. Uh, he bought a table at the Met for a bunch of up-and-coming new black designers who would never be able to go to the Met otherwise. Um, and he has two moms that he loves dearly. One is his stepmom, and the other is his biological mom. And he's always talking about how much they've influenced him. Um, and he's always kind of shouting out the women drivers who are driving in the W Series, which is no longer funded, so really isn't going anywhere, but it is a series where women can get points that would, you know, hypothetically 
get them to a point to where they could drive in for Formula One, except they don't have enough races in a season to add up to get them to other series. So there's that. Um, oh, he is, how old is he now? 30, 38. And the oldest Formula One driver right now is uh, Fernando Alonso. And he's like 42. And in Formula One years, that's like being 100. Um and he's like all of a sudden like back toward the top of the grid, which is amazing. Um, that's also something you can ask me about, like the teams and where they where they stand. Um, but yeah, any other questions? Uh, this isn't on your list, but I'm wondering if you can talk about what accounts for that initial drop in viewership from 2008 to 2014, I believe it was. Yes. So. First is that shift in the UK from being public entertainment that no one had to pay for. It was like having bunny ears on your TV to being a paid subscription through Sky Sports One. You had to get a special remote that has special buttons you can press that do special things while you're watching the race. Um, And that is the main thing that they focus on when they are coming up with a reason for why there is a drop. And by they, I mean the FIA. So they're as reliable as, you know, any cheating billion billion dollar company. Um, I think that it got a little boring And I'll say it got a little boring for Red Bull fans because Lewis just kept winning for seven years in a row, which is, for me, awesome because I'm a Mercedes. I'm a Sir Lewis Hamilton fan through and through. Um, But I imagine for people who care about energy drinks, um, that that would have been a boring, you know, seven years. So my question is about the... um how it's filmed and delivered to live audiences. How exactly is it different from, say, NASCAR? Because I feel like just from watching the little clips I've seen, it's fairly similar to how NASCAR does it. It is. And the only difference is the idea that these are the most prestigious, the most elite drivers in the fastest cars, and they have 73 years of history. Um, and they pretend that their fandom is nothing like NASCAR's fandom. And I hate to break it to you, but they're exactly like NASCAR's fandom. Um, they're to the point that the teams are making videos begging fans to stop abusing people in the stands and in social media comments. So I grew up, uh, my dad grew up in Indianapolis, and every year we would watch the Indy 500. So is there any substantive difference between a, quote, Indy car and a Formula One car? Yes, there is. Um, and it's mainly the speed, but also the kind of track you're racing on. Um, Formula One tracks tend to have turns, <laughs> um, and a lot of them. And they also have different kinds of circuits. They have the more traditional racing circuit that is out in the middle of nowhere, like in Spa. Or they have the uh, Monaco circuit, which is a street circuit that literally only the the top 1% of human beings on this planet are able to attend, if that. Um, I think even, like, Tom Cruise is, like, on a waiting list when it comes to Monaco. He can get in in Miami or Austin. Um, So... You've talked a couple times about, uh, you know, the 
kind of the relative differences or disagreements between drivers and, and, and FIA. And I'm just wondering, because I, you know, I think of some of the different sports leagues in the U.S. as being more or less progressive. And a lot of time it's influenced by like how much relative power players have versus owner and league infrastructure. And what is that power structure like in, in FIA? And, and uh, are, would you say players are fairly powerful or the drivers are fairly powerful or are they... Is the, the league and the whole infrastructure just too big for them? That's a great question. It's super complicated, but I'm excited to answer it. So, essentially, the drivers have power if they're the son of a principal owner. <laughs> they have power if they're Sir Lewis Hamilton, to an extent, and I'll talk about that in a minute. They have power if they're Max Verstappen because he's white and he's driving for an energy drink team. And they happen to have been doing well the past couple of years. By couple, I literally mean two. And the first year, uh, they teamed up with the FIA and stole stole it. So I'm just going to say that as if it's a fact, but it's pretty much a fact. Um, And then the other ways they have power is if they've won world championships, they're more powerful if they have relationships with famous, famous drivers like Lewis's relationship with Senna. Um, and I think uh, Senna has passed away now. Okay, I finally got one right. I was like, Michael Schumacher's dead. And my husband's like, no, he's not. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> okay, got one right. Um, yeah, so drivers that have like really rich histories to the point that Hollywood has decided they're worthy of making movies about them. Um, Those drivers have some power, but Lewis's power is mm, like, I mean, literally the FAA has called him into their office for the past two years saying he's violating the rules by wearing his nose ring. And he's like, dude, if I crash, like, my nose ring is the least of my worries, as you can see with the driver, uh, Grosjean, who uh, was literally on fire. <laughs> um, don't think it would have mattered if he had jewelry. Uh, and so I, I guess I will talk a little bit about the way that um, F1 kind of screwed Lewis out of his eighth world championship. So this is, like, the top of the game, It's the final race. Him and Max Verstappen are head-to-head, like, even on points, going into the world championship, like, race to win. And at the end of the race, almost end, the final, like, two, maybe five laps, I think, I think two laps, there was a yellow flag. And a yellow flag means that something has happened on the track and it's dangerous and you have to go slow and eventually turned into a red flag, which means all the drivers have to get into the pit, they get off the track, and they wait. And then when they restart the race, which is what they did, I think, literally one lap before the end of the race, and Lewis, by the way, had been leading for, I don't know, like 50 laps at this point, Um, they all bunch up. And Lewis and Max bunch up, and... There's all these drivers who had been lapped and the FIA's regulations allegedly are that all drivers who have been lapped can unlap. Um, Except this time they only let the drivers who were lapped uh, and unlap, like only the ones that were in front of Lewis, I think, like 
or behind Alex, can you help me out here? Between Lewis and Max. And so then, instead of having all of the people, you know, behind, you have Max, Lewis, and then a bunch of frickin' traffic of very slow race cars right behind them in the final lap. And so, literally, they broke their own rules to let Max Verstappen steal that race. And ultimately the world championship. And before that happened, also Max Verstappen had brake checked Lewis, which is super dangerous and could have killed him. Um, so there's that too. Also, there was a time, uh, I think at um, Silverstone, where Max Verstappen like drove to the limit but crossed it like he always does because that's how he drives and they call that good driving. Um, and he went up into the air and the car's tire literally would have landed on top of Lewis's head if not for the halo that the new cars have for the past, like, I don't know, decade-ish. The halo saved his life. He had to, like, slouch down into his race car to make sure that Max Verstappen's car didn't land on his head. So I hope that answers your question. (laughs) All right. On that appalling note. Yes. Yes. Let's have one more round of applause, please, for Danielle. Thank you very much. Uh, We're going to take a short... After Dr. Daniel Schwartz finished her discussion, I was able to talk with her soon after. Thank you so much for doing this. Can I catch your name real quick? Yes, I'm Dr. Danielle Schwartz. Cool. And doctor, uh, uh, where are you employed? I work at Winona State University very proudly. Nice. So uh, what was your talk about? My talk was about Formula One and their growing or exploding fandom. Nice. Uh, so what, interest you, what interested you in doing this topic? Um, it's my hobby, and it's the first hobby I really discovered after spending so many years in grad school just focusing on the stuff I research. And I decided that it would be a fun thing to talk about because I love talking about it. So. Right, right. Have, have you discussed uh, this topic before? I have a lot with my husband during races, and I've tried to talk to my friends about it, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would you, what advice would you give to fellow fellow nerds? Um, Embrace your nerdiness. It's cool to be a nerd. I think learning and being curious are the best human qualities. So, like, have at it and just, like, you know, be yourself in all of your nerdiness. Would you recommend doing talks like this uh, for other fellow nerds? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a really great way to talk about what you love, but also challenge yourself to get up in front of people and face the nerdiness head on. And most of the people who show up are also nerds. They're here because they like to learn. Have you attended nerd nights in the past? No, I had never heard of it until I got an email asking me to do one. (laughs) Are you planning on doing it again? Possibly. I'd have to think really hard about the topic. Um, Is cereal a soup? Um, Yeah, it's like a borscht. It's cold. Um, And uh, what can we do about the ever-growing boredom in today's society? Uh, Listen to 89.5 KQAL. 
Thanks again to our speakers as well as the No Name Bar for making this whole event possible. And be sure to stay tuned for next time as we conclude Nerd Night with our final speaker. To find out more about future Nerd Nights, check out visitwinona.com or follow their Facebook at Nerd Night Winona. To keep up with all things Winona and the surrounding Midwest area, tune in to Culture Click Thursdays at 1230 right here at 89.5 KQAL. I'm Donald Lozate, keeping it nerdy. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. <laughs>